All right. Welcome back to the Game Gallery. Today we have a very, very special guest. He did his undergrad thesis on video games. And I'd like to welcome today Avery. How you doing? Hi. I'm uh I'm good. Thank you for having me on. I'm uh I'm actually very appreciative you've come on because this is a very special episode. This is episode number two hundred, and I've pretty much been solo podcasting, so I'm really excited to um learn from you today. Yeah. Uh I will definitely lend my insight where I can. <laughs> So why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little bit about your background? So um, my name's Avery. I've been collecting since like, I don't even know, I was a eighth grader or something. I'm, I'm 22 now, so you know, I'm pretty young, but it's wow. been eight, nine years of, of collecting generally. Um, I really focus on Nintendo, not necessarily just first party, but Nintendo generally. So I don't really have anything from pretty much any other system. Um, but in my undergrad, I studied media arts and design and really specifically, uh, video game design and video game history. So what was your major and where did you go? Uh, I went to university of Chicago and my mate, I was a music and psychology major. And then media arts and design was my minor because I messed up and I couldn't triple major. Um, but I did my, my undergrad thesis uh, in, in my minor. So I, uh, oh. I specifically focused on the 30 games in Nintendo's black box set. So between 1985 and 1987, Nintendo released 30 first and second party games, um, in America as part of the NES's launch. Uh, this is everything from Super Mario Bros to Mock Rider to volleyball, et cetera. Yeah. And I focus on a few different things, including, uh, print variations and how that's relevant historically, but uh, mainly the development history uh, and then the how these games you know, came to be, how they were marketed and how that marketing impacted their sales and then their, their future. So for instance, how yeah. Super Mario Bros influence platformers to come, you know, that's kind of like a really big example, yeah. but uh, That's an over, yeah. overreaching media perspective, but for today, would it be okay to kind of focus on the packaging part of it? Yeah, In absolutely. other words, the variants? Yeah. Uh, let me ask you, though, what, because you seem pretty young compared to most of the community that I've I've contacted. Most of the people are in their 40s. I'm in my 50s. But why did you get, you know, interested and in how did you gravitate towards NES? Black Souls. So, yeah, I, I really, like when I first started collecting, I was focusing on things that I had grown up with. So Game Boy Advance, DS, yeah. Wii, which I know this sounds probably extremely young for <laughs> for most people uh, listening to an NES podcast. But um, as I continued collecting, I, I kind of got into, you know, like why is, why did, why did I like New Super Mario Bros. on the DS? I was like one of the first games I played. And I started becoming extremely interested in, in the development of how that game came to be. So hmm. instead of just, you know, playing this game, enjoying it, and then not really thinking about it, I went back and I was like, oh, here's Mario Advance 4 on the Game Boy Advance. This obviously had like played played a big part into uh, the power-ups and the whole system of, you know, world progression that we see we have we have an overworld which is it, mario advance 4 is a remake of super mario Bros. 3 
Uh, and then that brings you to the NES, and it's like, oh, Super Mario Bros. 3. This is very interesting. How did we get here? Well, mm. look at Mario 1. And then, you know, I'm using Mario as an example because it's a very easy time. You know, everybody's played Mario. Um, yeah. But yeah. The same That's a great said, example. Yeah. The same can be said with like Subway Surfers, for instance. That's, you know, I played Subway Surfers as a 13 year old on my iPod Touch. And I never really thought about it a whole lot. But then as I started getting into, older game collecting i started realizing patterns between you know these games that came out 40 35 years ago and things that were extremely popular you know in the mobile landscape even though it might not seem like there's much of a connection there was a, a very clear thread of game design that that follows from yes yeah. really early titles to things that we see now uh, we we have a lot of us have been wondering for kids that grow up on let's say mobile only digital only that never stuck a cartridge into a system or a disc, will they ever collect um, physical? And that's a great example of yes, right? Because you go well, out timeline and influence. I also did get lucky in that I had enough money to buy games. Um, sure. Like during the, the start of the pandemic, I I collected cards when I was younger, Pokemon cards, and I got very lucky with a couple of the ones that I had. I, I sold them uh, during like the big card boom, and I pretty much just had like a lot of money that I could reinvest into different parts of my collection. Nice. And so part of that was for me NES collecting. But if, you know, if I was like somebody who didn't have that extremely lucky break, there's pretty much no way I'd be able to afford most of the things that I have now. Gotcha. That's good yeah. that you're thankful. So you didn't actually grow up with a Nintendo Entertainment System in the living room, like no forty-year-olds, or no, not even a little bit. My first console was a DS Lite. Gotcha. Yeah, handheld. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting, though. I'm really excited that you went to NES and you're younger. I mean, younger from my perspective, being 56, I yeah. was gaming before the NES, but um. You've studied it enough to where it seems like you know a lot about development, a lot about history, but what about like the history of the packaging in America? Uh, in other words, the variants. Mm -hmm. um, can we talk about some of those? Sure. So how I focus on that really in my, in my thesis um, is more of a look at how we can determine relative success by how many prints existed. So for instance, Donkey Kong Jr. Math is a very unpopular game. And we know it's unpopular, you know, in part because it got some horrible reviews, but Nintendo didn't publish any sales numbers for any of these titles, like mm -hmm. for maybe Super Mario Bros, which doesn't even really count because they counted the Mario Duck Hunt combo pack as Mario sales. Mm -hmm. but, you know, you can't really look at that. Um, but if we look at Donkey Kong Jr. Math, for instance, it came out in 1986. Mm -hmm. So we know that it had a gloss sticker seal print, which is yeah. the first print for 1986 games. And then the no gloss, no NES GP. The NES GP had a gloss sticker NES GP as well. And then the uh, the two code version. And so there are essentially, there are like four, four and a half prints if you count the gloss sticker NES GP copy yeah. as a separate one. Um, and from that, you can pretty much extrapolate that Nintendo wanted to get this off of store shelves as, as soon as possible. It didn't yeah. continue production into 1987 
maybe the very, very beginning, but no later than that whatsoever. Uh, so I'm really interested in the gloss sticker thing and yeah. the, the fact that some games have an NES GP on the back and some people in the hobby have said, well, that's just a gloss sticker that was removed. It's not actually a different print run. What's your take on like third print without any sticker versus these two and a half prints with sticker and NES GP? Um, it's not, all of this is speculative. Like anybody. Well, your opinion, your opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your um, professional opinion, because you did this. <laughs> really? I've seen, there are, there are a lot of these weird in-between prints that are, that and there there are so many different reasons they could exist. Uh, but in my opinion, I, I have to I have to really start with like the double sticker sealed games. So okay. it's been shown that Nintendo resealed or added an extra sticker seal to certain games that maybe were covered by warranty and then were returned, fixed, and then put back on store shelves. Uh, which is sometimes where you see that double sticker seal. Yeah, um, you're talking about a retail return, but the retailer puts the, a second sticker on, or sell it, or they send it to Nintendo. They send it to Nintendo. Nintendo might do that, and that was probably only you know, that not probably that was only in late 1985, early 1986 when they were still doing those sticker seal prints. Mm -hmm. um, but they probably didn't have as much stock as they would have liked. So rather than, you know, keep it and just trash it, they wanted to get it back on store shelves as soon as possible. So they just stuck another sticker on it and, uh, sent it on its way. Um, kind of like an early form of refurbished, like I've got yeah. a refurbished iPad mini and it comes in a slightly different box. Exactly. Seems brand new. So this is, I say this because it's just evidence that Nintendo is being very resourceful. They weren't yes. getting rid yeah. of old uh, boxes that- I'm half Japanese. That's built into the DNA. Oh, we're just first school in Japan. Yeah. I mean- And the company was so small. I don't yeah. think they were making much money aside from the Donkey Kong cabinet. They uh, they certainly, well, they were in Japan at that point, but- Nintendo I mean in America. America. I mean, America. I mean Nintendo of America. Yeah, yeah. Definitely not. Um, But- they they really did not want to put anything to waste. So, I, my idea, my theory on the the fourth print or I guess three and a half print games is they had a bunch of extra leftover stickers as factories, and they thought, okay, well, may as well just get rid of all the gloss stickers we have, put them on these, and then we don't have to cellophane wrap half of them. You know, a lot of them had very short gloss sticker NESGP print runs, uh, probably because. You know, there, it was very easy to steal games that weren't cellophane wrapped and then put the sticker back together yeah. on a store shelf and make it look like Do you think resourcefulness is also the reason we have stuff like the later, what is it, the later print uh, Mike Tyson five screw and the later print Jaws five screw, I think it is. Those weird anomalies that maybe those are old parts and pieces that they yeah. put together later. I... Honestly, I have no idea about the the Jaws carts. That is like outside of my wheelhouse of expertise. Um, yeah, and like that was that's kind of like getting towards the, the realm I don't know much about. I don't know much about it yeah. either. I just I was just thinking resourcefulness, and that's what I've heard in the community that oh, that's just a leftover five screw um, case that in the end of the awesome. run. I really rare though. Yeah, I can't. I mean, that also might be the case with Mega Man. I cannot give like a 
definite opinion because I really just don't know enough about that. But that is, yeah. I mean, I think does not come quicker though. That seems a little bit easier because it's on the box. Oh, I meant uh, five screw Mega Man. Oh yeah, I heard, I saw that on Facebook the other day. I was like, that came out of nowhere. There's like where did that come from? I saw that recently too. I didn't know about that until I saw it on Facebook. Yeah, there are, there are a bunch of those weird five screw variants, but I I'm really not sure how they work with. I like your I like your theory though. I like resourcefulness because I've been to Japan. I'm half Japanese. I you know my mom's Japanese, my wife's Japanese. We are very very frugal as a culture, and I know companies are also very frugal. Like Toyota when they when they came to America and they had a big thing. My wife was working at a restaurant, and all the Toyota salarymen came in, and they all ordered ramen. You know they're not coming into the restaurant and ordering sushi, for example. They're just ordering basic lunch uh menu and we're talking about the number one car maker in the world you know yeah. that's got tons of money no it's and definitely a culture probably cultural yeah. resourcefulness like you said so let's get back to the stickers though i'm so excited because i want to talk about other variants doc uh donkey kong jr math i'm just looking at the pop report because i use it as a variant guide mm -hmm. so um gloss sticker removed nesgp that is for Super Mario, that would be a third print, but Super Mario does not have that. Is so, that what's going on? It's very, first of all, I would take the black box, not the black box, the WADA CIB guide with a massive grain of salt. Okay. I was talking to one of my friends like last week, two weeks ago maybe, um, who is a big sealed Pokemon collector. And okay. he sent in a Pokemon crystal it got like a 9.0 uh, A plus steel or something like that. And then he got the the case back and it said it was, I don't know if you know anything about Pokemon collecting. Not much. Like a, I, essentially, very briefly, there are two prints of Pokemon crystal. There's one with a Y-fold bottom and a series error on the back. There's like a typo. And then there's one with a with no Y-fold. So it's like a flat bottom bottom. Flat. And then... yeah. I heard flats are earlier, right? Yeah. So the flat one is earlier and it's very likely that they made the typo when they were revising the box later. Uh, but then they never corrected the typo because the crystal was like the worst selling Pokemon game of main series Pokemon game of all time. Interesting. And they just let it go. So there were only those two prints. The second one was the one with the, uh, with the error. Wada, okay. for some reason, decided to label my friend's uh, y fold series error as error corrected and then Fair they correct. graded three other crystals or two other crystals and both of them said error corrected y fold bottom error corrected and i looked at that and i was like i, I made a, a short video series on pokemon prints and i had never seen that i owned every pokemon print uh that existed um for generations one and two and most of the ones for three i'd never seen a series corrected error on crystal um, and on crystal series corrected series misprint. Yep. That's so I, I asked, yeah, I asked my friend, could you send me a picture of your, of your game? Cause like, if this is a third print, I need to know about this. I'll correct. Oh, video. uh, and then it was, it was a series error. It, there's no corrected series. It was wrong. They just completely mislabeled it and then mislabeled two other games, uh, hmm. because they had already made that categorization. Um, he ended up sending a email to Wada, several emails to Wada because they ignored his first couple and said, Hey, you 
misidentified this. It's not a series corrected. It's an error. And they scrubbed it off afterwards, issued no statement of correction, um, and then just kind of uh, hope nobody called them out. <laughs> Which, you know, when you're talking about a game that's worth like ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000, that's kind of a big yeah. deal. Uh, especially, Are you, you saying know, there's two print runs, though, or there three? There are only two. There are only two. There's two, and it was never corrected. No, the the corrected that WADA has is misleading. It's not corrected. It's just what did series mean? Is it. that the sentence? Yeah, it's set on the bad one. Gonna hear uh, compatible compatible with a Pokemon Gold and Silver series, something. Uh, but on the series error, they put like a um a a bracket in the middle I, because it looks like copy and paste didn't exist when they were doing the graphic design, and it, I'm gonna guess somebody just left a little typo in, and then they mass produced it. And, I wasn't ready to talk about Pokemon, but I do have a guide here, um, and it's it's on my website. But I'm looking for Crystal, and I'm really curious what this guy thinks. Um, I I just say that because I think a lot of people put an over reliance on Wada and their bookkeeping. No, we all make mistakes. Yeah, I'll make there like a lot. Yeah, and so I was just saying like, it's so interesting. I mean, we're talking about packaging yeah. and, and we're not talking about gaming and collecting anymore. We're talking about packaging and it's really, really difficult to learn this stuff. But let me see if I can learn a little bit about Crystal before we move on. Um, tell me more about any other Pokemon things. Like, do you believe Sandshrew Red is first? A lot. Some people say no, yeah, which is shocking. That's undeniable. There, undeniable. I mean, okay. Yeah. I, I did, if you are interested in learning about Pokemon prints. I made a short video series where I go over all the generation one and two. Yeah, I want to add all your resources to my website, but <laughs> yeah. do that like when they're we're not, not recording. Cool. I made them like yeah. three years ago. If I were to redo them, I'd edit them a lot. I'd edit them at all. I think I had like a single cut. I didn't know how to do anything. <laughs> so this yeah. guy is um, on Video Game Sage. Adam W. That's not you. No, no. you're Avery. I didn't. So Adam W. Um, yeah. On Crystal does show two, mm -hmm. and um, I'm trying to get my head around it here. Uh, what does he say? He doesn't mention any series. Oh, that's Pokemon Gold. I'm sorry. God, Pokemon is so difficult. I I'm think I know what you're talking about. That guy's guide is very solid. I've, I've talked. Double-ended box. Okay, there it is. Fourth bullet is correct. Gold yeah. and silver series Pokemon. On the first print. Then he says second print, gold and silver, fourth bullet, gold and silver series. I see there's a there's a little like uh parentheses type of yeah. thing. So that's the second print. So yeah, that's the, the second print. first one, not an error. No, they just so I mean it's very easy to tell which one was the first print by opening. I mean, people have opened brand new ones of these copies and determined what inserts. You're right. It shouldn't say corrected. It should say series misprint. Yeah. And then just made in Japan, I guess. That's that's right. Um, so if it was corrected, if it was corrected, that means it would be second print, but it's not because... Yeah, I don't know. I misprint no one second. Yeah. Gotcha. Came second. Gotcha. The first print Weird. Gave a, uh, a voucher for a $3 movie ticket. Um, like a dollar oh. discount on a movie ticket it was like the not the two thousand movie. It was the one with Celebi or something like that. And Adam does not call that. that. Um, but this movie came out in like early. I, I might. I, it's been a really long time since I talked about Pokemon variants. So 
Uh, We're not supposed to be that. talking about Pokemon, then. but uh, yeah, the, the the movie came out in like early 2001. It was like uh-huh. March 2001 or something like that. And the game released in, I'm just going to fact check really quick. Uh, I agree with July of 2001. So they very likely put this um, insert into the earlier prints because it had a $3 voucher for that Pokemon movie that came out during that season. And then in later prints, it didn't come with the ticket thing because, you know, it was 2002 and they're advertising other movies and they weren't putting that into Pokemon Crystal Boxes. So just through that insert, it's pretty easy to tell which one is the first print, which is the the um, non-wifold bottom. But I mean, yeah. if you also look at like the evolution of Game Boy Color or Game Boy or Game Boy Advance games, just about every single first party released Game Boy title, if it has multiple prints that span throughout the double ended and wifel bottom, the double ended bottoms are. Yeah, that, I think that's the general gist I get. I yeah. agree with you on that for sure. Um, we're 20 minutes in. Do you mind if we go back to Black Box? Oh, yeah. Because, sure. You know, I realize that this is going to go really long if we get into multiple variants and other consoles. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I was thinking since we don't have a lot of time. Um, what if we just go for Super Mario and I can ask you some questions about that one? Your opinion, yeah. your opinion. I mean, so just, just, re- sorry, really quick. All, all black box games that came out in 1985 had the same prints. So you can talk about Super Mario Bros. We could also talk about 10 yard fight with the same, you know, golf had the same amount of prints as Super Mario. Dude, okay, first question then. Yeah. Are there other black boxes that have well first question is how many print runs are there of the most reprinted black box? I guess Super Mario. Is it eleven, twelve, or thirteen? I do not remember. I think it's I don't I don't know. I don't know all of the, the later prints. I know it ended with so star for gloss sticker. Yeah, it just says gloss sticker on the pop report, and I've always assumed third print is NESGP without a gloss sticker. But some people said that could be removed. Why is it like that? And then it on Donkey Kong Junior, like you mentioned, it seems like there's an in between there. Um, yeah, it's it really varied by by day. Um, there are some examples. Uh, I mean, there, there are mostly examples of gloss sticker, like 1986 titles coming out with uh, those gloss sticker NES GPs. Um, there are a few instances of matte sticker, like 1985 games that I've seen, but honestly, nobody knows. Like, it's pretty much completely unknown as to why Nintendo did that with like Donkey Kong or Donkey Kong Jr. or math or, you know, other, or maybe golf but they didn't do it with Super Mario Bros. So theoretically, possible they, theoretically, they modified the print for the box itself, and then maybe some of the early ones, they somehow got those into production before shrink wrap came along? No, I, that, I mean, shrink wrap was already being used in, in the third prints. I don't think it's its own distinct print. Could it be that they had leftover stickers and they just wanted to use them? Yeah, that's that's going back to the theory of resourcefulness, not wasting it. It's called muda in Japanese. Yeah, like my wife won't even throw away a you know empty container or bag. You got to reuse everything. Single use plastic to wrap like individual grapes. (laughs) 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm joking. so, so yeah. there's, in other words, the new theory is there's rolls of stickers. They're sitting in the warehouse and they don't want to throw them away. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that any SGP sticker prints are its own distinct thing. I think that they, they were coming out. I mean, I think part of the issue with how people think about NES prints in general is they think it's a timeline. And I think the Wada Black Box Guide has really perpetuated this, and it's not very helpful when you're understanding historical context. Um, mm -hmm. Games did not just come out like between 1987 and, you know, March of 1987 and June of 1987, and then they were done. That's not how any of this worked. The NES's launch was very, very messy. There were a lot of moving parts. Almost none of them were accounted for. Um, and, you know, we don't even know for sure if Mario or what day Mario came out in 1985. Like mm. it could have been October 18th with everything else. It could have been November 2nd, two weeks later. There's mm. absolutely no way to prove when it Mario, it, the most popular game, most famous game of all time came out. So to look at the, the prince as if it's this singular timeline you know from october 1985 to december 1994 or whatever and like this section came this section had matte and this section had gloss etc mm -hmm. is really doing a disservice to understanding the nuance of of all of these these intersecting intersecting uh systems at, at launch well when so, i talk about theory i'm talking about in the japanese factory and shipping it off the line to America. I'm not talking about the release date or when the distribution. No, no. I, I, yeah, I, I understand that. I'm, I'm talking just... about like employees in Japan actually sealing them one at a time by hand or whatever. And that counts as that day. And then the yeah. next one would be later or earlier. I'm, I mean, I'm that's kind of what the... I'm looking for is what's earlier, what's later. Yeah. And, and what I'm saying is there's, it's probably that there is no answer. Not there's no answer. It's that they came out at the same time. Like, there could be stacks of games everywhere in Japan getting sealed by multiple employees in different ways. That's yeah. the new theory. I think I could buy that. So stacks of games. Oh, some are getting sand drops, some are getting sticker sealed. I bought several matte sticker sealed games from mm -hmm. a collector in Los Angeles at a flea market. He was the original owner. He had a test market. It was like 54000 NES serial number. I bought that from him as well. And I got a bunch of CIB matte sticker seal and gloss sticker seal game. Now, when if we go by the, the... Wait, wait, wait. The, like, where CIB. I mean, like the CIB. Print. Yeah. Sticker print. Not sealed. Well, I mean, yeah, it's just like people say matte sticker seal. Not like it's sealed. He was the only one that had opened yeah. those. And he yeah. was an original owner. He was the original owner. Um, he didn't, and he's in LA and he has New York boxes or, or are you saying well, that it's not that's just your the that that type of thinking is not how it works um i'm just picking up yeah i'm just reporting what i picked up along the way which could be wrong and that's why oh, you're on broadcast i mean not like i'm not saying more the way i think people think about this like like you and many other collectors of nes prints that might not like have this historical backing is yeah. in part because of the way that WADA set up their guide online. So you can see it very fleshed out as a timeline, but that's not how it works. So like in Los Angeles, for instance, they were selling matte sticker sealed games 
that were left over from the New York test market. In Ohio, okay. in the middle of 1986, they were selling matte sticker sealed games that were left over from the New York test market, gloss sticker sealed games that were left over from the Los Angeles test market, and third print games that were wrapped in cellophane. While all of the other ones so are New York in production. New York was not very successful. How many organic print runs do you think were sent, like for Super Mario? Absolutely. Anybody who says that they have a number on that is is completely has. has Do you been, think it's a thousand or ten thousand? Completely unknown. There's literally unknown. no metric that you could. I mean, unless somebody comes across documents from a factory that yeah. are Japan. you know quantifying the amount of prints that they did, like you know the the number of copies that they made. Of yeah, we'd have to go to Japan. And There's interview no someone in the factory yeah. from 40 years ago, which is impossible. Any any attempt to put a true number on that is, yeah. they, they have no idea. <laughs> Nobody knows. I'm going to guess people saying it's a thousand have a Matt Sticker Mario and want to make it seem very... You bad. could do statistical regression and compare it to other products and, and use a basis of how many are around today and maybe make an sure. estimate. Kind of, but not really if you don't even know when the game came out. Like, specifically with Mario, you know, maybe you could do that with Ten Yard Fight or, like, golf or or tennis or any of these much more popular. I just meant across the board, like, across yeah. the board, all black boxes, surviving versus estimate. Yeah, I don't... I, I mean, it's I hard to say because about. most people have sent them in, and that's where the bias takes place i like, don't think i think most people haven't sent them in i think there is oh, really? a, yeah the the percentage of nes collectors who use wada to cib grade their games is significantly smaller than you'd think it is no i meant that most people send in significant print runs in other words those will be biased higher oh yeah i don't know i don't think that's the case i think that oh, most of the collectors in our circle in in you know the cib like higher end circles have sent them in. But I think there are, I mean, it is literally not possible to determine how many are sitting in people's collections and they don't know. Or how many yeah. are sitting in warehouses somewhere, not like, <laughs> like some distribution you warehouse. Like in a, in a, we have absolutely no idea. It's all speculation. Yeah, that's what um, we do. That's what we do in graded games. Is I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that, I think that there is, looking at the WADA population as the as even a baseline of how many could or might exist is as a fool's game it's um it's it's self-selection bias sure with the the higher end people who are sending them in but like you know i have i know three or four people in and i don't know that many nes collectors that have matt sticker marios that would never send them in to get created yeah, I mean CIB. I mean, like yeah, CIB. But that's like a that's a pretty significant percentage of ones that exist according to the the WADA population. But that's like, you know, a lot I'm of looking at the sealed population. It says the sealed population is zero and one gloss. Oh, I'm talking yeah. about everything I'm talking about is CIB. I know nothing about sealed. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't collect any sealed any. I don't believe there's any cases left over, but if you're right, you look at CIB, there's 40 out of 427 across all variants that have been sent in 
in matte sticker. So about 10%, which I think would be high because I think many people would want to send in their matte. So 10%- You're assuming that many people want to send things into WADA to get graded. No, I just studied statistics in school and I think one out of 10 black boxes out in the wild, matte sticker, uh, I don't know. That seems high to me. No, no, that's definitely high. No, I'm not saying the- I'm not saying you're incorrect about that. I'm saying that you are assuming that the people who have Matt Sticker Marios would, are like who, who currently have them would send them in. No, what I'm trying to say is that if you have, let's say, three different variants, um, an oval, you know, and maybe a NES, whatever, and then a mat, you might send in the mat first, oh, according oh, to okay. the statistics. It's a one out of 10. So in other words, if I went out to garage sales and I found 10 garage sales each had a super mario brothers i really doubt if i would hit a mat on the 10th garage sale. okay that yeah sorry like, that's what you mean yes yes that's what i meant by regression to get a range of trying to determine scarcity and rarity but i have heard the numbers thrown around a lot in the hobby not on the black box guide but in facebook groups of somewhere around a thousand new york or let's not use new york anymore let's just say matt <laughs> And then 10,000 for either all stickers or gloss and man that number from. I have no idea. I think I don't know where the number came from. I'm pretty sure they're making it up. I can tell you with 100% certainty as somebody who devoted like two years of my life to studying this type of thing, that there are no numbers. If I, I mean, I can say they're 400 and I'm. I don't know where that's coming from. It just came from my people try to do this with Michael Jordan rookies <laughs> and they say three thousand. And you know, they try to do stuff like, well, how many card shops were there? Each card shop got a box or two. But we can't really do that with games. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, do you know if anyone got this in New York, uh, besides FAO Schwartz and what is that rumor that there was one Toys R Us executive that green lighted the NES, whereas everybody else on the board said no? And it was this one guy that basically led to the launch of the NES uh, nationwide. Like, what's your take on distribution from FAO Schwartz and beyond? Um, do you mean like the like following the retail releases? Like, yeah, because you, you know, said you said there's Matt, there's Matt stickers in Ohio, Matt stickers in Los Angeles. Is that Toys R Us? Is that oh, a retro game show? Uh, there were a lot of different stores that, uh, I mean, in, in New York, it was FAO Schwartz. But then after they opened it up to the broader country, they, it's very likely that they were at Toys R Us. They were definitely at Wool's, Woolworths. Is that how you say it? Okay. Woolworths. They were, uh, Didn't those companies deny Nintendo initially? Yes. And but say, then they saw, oh, we don't the, want another video game. Yeah, you but don't they saw video the, game. the test market launch. <laughs> like in New York and how successful that was and they wanted a piece of the pie. So what was it? Like people lined up at FAO Schwartz that hits the TV and then some executive over at Woolworth says, we need to get that too. That, that, that is also a question for, well, I, I tried to, um, I tried to interview Howard, uh, not Howard Lincoln. What's his name? My God, I forgot his name. The voice of Howard. Mario? No. The guy. Yeah, what's his name? Can't believe I forgot it. The happy guy. Yeah, I yeah, can't yeah. remember. 
Hang message. We both forgot. Howard uh, Market or no. Howard Lincoln was the vice president, not him. Um, Howard something, maybe. Phillips. Howard Phillips. I always forget there's too many Howards. Um, so Howard Phillips. Phillips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Howard Phillips. I, I tried to reach out to him for an interview. Um, and unfortunately, he didn't have any time before I had to submit my thesis. Uh, but I would like to talk to him at some. I'm wow. going to. Um, I'm going to expand what I was talking. Yeah. Are you going to go to grad school? I'm in grad school, but not for video games. <laughs> not media. Okay. No. So there was like, from what I understand, there was four or six people in the warehouse at that the time we're talking about, eighty-five, yeah, eighty-six. It's a yeah. tiny little operation, right? Yeah. It was. Ex it was very small. And I'm feeling like. At that time, it would be Nintendo of Japan that would be contacting Toys R Us, wouldn't it? Not those it, four or six employees. There were there was two people in America. It was Min Minoru Arakawa, who was the president oh, of America, of yeah, Nintendo of America, and Howard Lincoln, who was the vice president, but honestly more like a, a figurehead. Um, yeah, the first question is, can he speak Japanese? Yeah, you know, can Howard speak Japanese, or was he just you know, number one employee over at Nintendo. Otakalo went to uh, MIT or something and lived in Canada. Uh, wow. So he definitely spoke English and Japanese. He was pretty much wow. the, the single bridge between Nintendo of Japan and Nintendo of America. Yeah. Um, he, I don't know if you're aware of this, but like he married uh, Yama, Yamauchi's daughter and that's why he got promoted to <laughs> uh, like you didn't even yeah. have any business experience as far as i'm aware he went to like mit for public works or public mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. engineering or something like that i don't remember exactly god that's got to be the most important wedding ever in the yeah <laughs> <laughs> and ended up running nintendo of america for like 10 years uh wow. but howard phillips was really the one who was in charge yeah. of all of that market. I mean, he was he had extensive business experience. He was a lawyer. He knew a lot about, you know, what exactly they should be doing to get into stores. Um, so while Autocall is kind of like the the branch, Lincoln was definitely the one that was like on the ground getting Nintendo recognized. Uh for, I would say probably to a greater degree than Autocall. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you get that interview. That would be really amazing. I would love he, Howard Phillips is very, very nice. He, uh, yeah, he, he, he offered to let me interview him. I just had to, I, he responded like a week before I had to turn it in. And at that point, I could like, it was just a timing issue then. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So, um, what do you think about the later print run black boxes? Uh, the ones that are called promotional star. Yeah, is that a subset of the oval SOQR? Speaking of, you know, he's a lawyer and all that, and I study the R versus the TM. This is all legal stuff. Um, what do you think's happening there? Is so there like a giveaway or something? This isn't a, a theory. This has been proven now for like three or four years, and the fact that WADA still hasn't updated their website um, specifically on this print is really really bad in my opinion it's just the qr so yeah the the star print means one thing which is that they changed the warranty information from nintendo from america to america canada and mexico that's it 
That's it. Was that's not a promotion. It's not a promo. No, I own Nintendo. I mean, I'm sure you've, if you're on Facebook groups, I'm sure you've seen these, but like I, Nintendo did have promotional copies and what they looked like were, uh, they had like yellow stickers on the front that said promotional copy, not for resale. That's a promotional copy. And I think the reason Wada messed this up is because they mostly did their promotions later in the NES's lifespan. And so when they were giving them away, they had star code boxes, huh. but that is like unequivocally not a promotional copy. It just means that they updated the warranty information and didn't have another way to notate on the box that there was a difference in the price. Is it okay to say promos are a subset of oval R's? Um, no, they, they were promos for all sorts of different boxes. Uh, I had, so is there only one oval R or are there two print runs like oval R star and oval yeah, R ring? Those are two print runs. There is the over, oval R, which was the one that had the warranty information just for North America. And then the star code in which they added Nintendo or warranty covers Canada, USA, and Mexico. And promotional copies existed for both of them. I have a uh, promotional copy for Nintendo or Mario Golf. Not, not Golf, the black box one, but the other, uh, whatever it's called. The, uh-huh. do you, know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. The other golf game. Um, it is not a star code, and it says Nintendo promotional copy, not for resale on the front. Um, on the again, box? Yeah. It's on, it's on like in big, it's a sticker on the front of the box. A sticker. Okay. Yeah. That's how they... Notate okay. there. The fact that Wada I hear sticker though. Like, sticker for me is subset goes. because the actual printing of the box, I'm always going back to the printing of the box. It's the same boxes. Yeah. It's not a it's not a different print. They just gotcha. added the sticker probably like at the Nintendo. So box. that that's a variant though, which means there should be one more uh black box, which means two, four, six, eight. It's 10, not a 12. it's not a okay, I think you're your print runs and variants are different. Yes, so of course. In print run, I guess it's a different variant. But yes. if you're talking about variants, then, I mean, yeah. It, yeah, then you'd add that. There's 13 different variants of the black box Mario. Yeah. When most Is people are talking about black box prints, there's, there's no, there's no third print. Third print is something I can't figure out, but I guess there's... Only on certain games, they're going to have a gloss sticker and an NESGP. A handful of games, that's a minority. And that's a variant as well. That's not a box. That's not a That's a variant because the box would be the same as a quote-unquote, we use third print, but we're talking about Super Mario Bros. NESGP without the sticker, third print, which seems to be the rarest thing to find. Like, I never Mario see those out. anywhere. I've, I've seen like four or five. They're, they're definitely They rare. seem like... R- but now, why is why is a third print appear to be the rarest thing on the planet in the wild? Is that because it was just a short window? Speculate, yeah, probably. Um, if they were, they were first of all getting rid of all of their gloss and matte stickers at the same time that their prints were being sold, but they were also expanding it to a bunch of other isolated markets around the country. So yeah. Pretty likely that they just didn't survive 
at the same extent and to the same extent because they weren't in like as popular areas they weren't getting traded around as much that's could yeah. be the case um they, it had the same print like its print run was pretty much the same length as mad and gloss stickers it wasn't that that much different um mm. but that much different that yeah it wasn't that different um but the easiest way to find those third prints is they they put a lot of uh duck hunt and gyromites that they didn't get rid of uh the the matter the gloss stickers so the third prints in uh certain pre-deluxe and deluxe sets in late 1986 and early 1987 um, so is the third print nationally distributed with shrink wrap originally yeah. to retailers large retailers nationally is a stretch because it was still like they were still doing um mm -hmm. you know like isolated releases it wasn't it, i mean obviously the ovals are mass produced right mass produced across the country every store but somewhere in between there it went from a very small company to a very big company and i guess that's from nesgp all the way through like the end of reve or something i don't know the um the third print was probably yeah i think they all had about the same run of a of a print um you know first prints were like late 1985 to early mm -hmm. 1986 and then gloss stickers were early 1986 to like i don't know somewhere in probably april may june or something like that and then when they expanded past la is when they started wrapping them in gloss and in, in, in seals likely because people were able to just steal the games out of sticker seal boxes here yeah. uh, and then they realized they had to wrap them to keep them a little bit more and maybe at that point they had the money I would to reward theory amounts of shrink wrap. Well, yeah, yeah, I agree with that theory definitely because um, Famicom doesn't have any shrink wrap at all, and I doubt if there's much theft in Japan. Yeah, there there definitely isn't as much. <laughs> but let's not talk about Famicom. Let's talk about that some other day. That's a whole nother rabbit hole. So. I think we've covered Super Mario. The real questions I was trying to figure out was the third print and then the oval R versus promotional. Now I'm very clear that there's a big difference between print run produced in Japan off the factory line versus someone sticking a sticker on it later in the distribution process, possibly even a return, like you said, on a double, or it could be a promotional item. And that's actually a different variant as opposed to a print run. Yeah. So I think we can say that there are 13 variants of SMB1 Black Box Mario. And I think that's one of the contention points that is in the community. Assuming there is a gloss sticker NESGP, which I don't think has ever been found from Mario. No, I'm saying uh, variants as the uh, promotional, adding one more because of the promotion. Oh, I actually haven't seen a promotional uh, offer mario i've seen a promotional offer mario 2 i don't know if that oh, really mario i would guess it doesn't because that wouldn't make a lot of sense wait all. are you saying all the oval r's have a star no I, the star doesn't mean promotional the star was just a warranty switch but the warranty switch happened at the same time they switched from tm to r uh 
No, they both had R. Because the, there's an oval TM that says US and, USA and Canada text, which I assume is a warranty change. That in Mexico. And then, so the star race, the star signifies adding Mexico then? Yeah. There, was, there are two. Every oval R has Mexico on the side. No. To what, no. The stars have Mexico and the non-stars don't. There's non-stars oval SOQRs and star no. oval SOQRs? Yeah. Okay, then there's 13 variants. There's 14 if there happens to be a, a true sticker promotional, which I've never seen. I, I don't think they would do that just because Nintendo Power at that point was not advertising the first Mario that came out like seven years before then. Yeah. <laughs> would have been moving on to other games. Yeah. Okay, yeah. we're 48 minutes in. I think we're good on black boxes. Um, what what else would you like to talk about as we wrap up? If not, you know, where can people find you? Type like stuff like that. Um, is there anything else you want to share? Maybe. Um, well, should I can I can I can plug my my stuff. Uh, yes, you can plug your stuff all the way along on YouTube. Um, I haven't uploaded in, in a little while just because I'm in grad school right now and very busy, but I will. I have like a, a few videos in in the works uh, that'll hopefully get out. And that's B E C K E T T A V E R Y on uh, on YouTube with yep. the. It looks like a little. Is that a, like an Animal Crossing type <laughs> Kirby? Oh Kirby, sorry, yeah. I can't see it. Oh Kirby, yeah, it's yeah. got a little Kirby uh, logo there and. I yeah. recommend the unpacking Nintendo's black boxes video. Yeah, that's my uh, that's the my thesis. Um, I'm also releasing all of them individually. If you're interested in any of the specific uh, any specific black box game, its historical impact. Um, but yeah, I mean that's pretty much the best way to to find me. <laughs> what about uh? Actually, wait a second. I have a different name. Do you want to uh, share your Facebook or Instagram or anything like that? Ah, uh, nah. That's okay. fine. Okay. So I'll put this on the website, Unpacking Nintendo's Black Boxes. It's a great video. It's pretty long, but um, you can just click on your favorite release and learn about the historical development, etc. It's It's a deep dive for sure. It, I also it, recommend, I recommend the list of citations because this was academic research and um i see like matt rose on there a lot of facebook youtube links you did a lot of research thank you very much yeah he matt rose had the um the only picture i could find of the uh 1985 display that nintendo was using in um in the fao schwartz stores in new york uh, i don't think it was oh, here wow. But he went to a convention, took a picture of it. I literally could not find. I think that was the only one that that exists. Uh, there's no like. There's no. Did you ever come across any commercials on YouTube of FAO Schwartz with people lined up or anything like that? No. There is one commercial that Nintendo Nintendo put out in like mid 1986 or late 1986 for the NES. Um, yeah, I have a. a 
few promotional, like I have the pamphlet that they gave out at the test market launch, um, a little like trifold pamphlet, which is, I, I talk about mm-hmm. that in my, uh, in my essay. Um, but like it is, I mean, other than that and like the, the real Holy grail there is the, uh, press kit that they gave out before they actually did the official launch, which doesn't even, oh my God, scanned online. Uh, which is a shame because I know people have it and just don't want to upload it for some reason. That would have helped a lot with my research. And I don't have $25,000 to spend on buying one of those. So, <laughs> yeah, those are like, wow. th- that would be wow. very nice if somebody were to, uh, were to scan and upload that for, you know, video game. Video game packaging history, holy grail. If anybody out there has one of these, please upload some scans so we can study this history (laughs) there's that in the um the conference before it was called the nes the uh it was called the video advanced video system i'm sure you know about that uh it was like in 1984 and nintendo had a little booth display there where they were like talking about it they they probably had a pamphlet from that as well i could not find any scans or pictures or anything of those. Was it an NES or was it like a modified Famicom or? It was before they called it the NES. It was like said to be the Nintendo advanced video system or something like that. Um, they had they, hardware. Yeah. They, well, it was like the pre NES. It was like the, um, prototype. In between, in between Famicom and NES. It was before they launched it in the U S and they, yeah wanted to they were you know trying to get retailers excited about this because it was their first home console that they were going to put out um yeah and then they realized very quickly that branding it as a video game system was a bad idea a bad idea so then they changed it they changed the whole design and everything yeah uh but they like first released any images or you know picture the actual the actual hardware of that at the um a CES, I think it was. Electronics. Like in Las Vegas so, or something? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure it was. It was the, the Consumer Electronics Show in 19. Yeah, probably CES. That's where all this activity took place back in the day. Definitely sounds like a historical event there. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's there's paperwork from there that also exists, but I have not seen any of it scanned. <laughs> I haven't even seen any pictures of any of that stuff, though. I mean, we've been doing this for a while, collecting games for a while, but we have not scratched the surface of packaging history and business history, development history, not the game development, but the actual retail development distribution, because we have nothing coming out of Nintendo. No yeah. interview, no materials, it's all locked away, or I guess gone. I hope not. I really Honestly, hope not. I, hope- I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I really but- hope that someone saves something in Nintendo and there's like a library somewhere. Yeah. A a lot of this stuff that we're talking about is pertinent as a collector. If we're talking about it historically, there are a few missing components that would be very helpful to get, you know, including the release date of Super Mario Bros. Um, But in terms of like actual, actually putting these pieces together from, from the media perspective, we're not really missing a whole lot. The marketing is a whole other story. Marketing would be really mm-hmm. to have 
scans uh, of a lot of the earlier materials that they were using. But if we're taking a look just at like the evolution of a certain like pinball genre in video games or whatever, we know pinball came out in October of 1985. We hmm. can trace that forward to galactic pinball that came out in 1989 or whatever. You know, I'm just using a, a stupid example here. Uh, but that stuff is, is mostly squared away. It's mostly from, mm -hmm. like from the collecting perspective, it would be nice to have some semblance of an idea of rarity, but that, you know, for me, that isn't the main focus. I'm mostly interested in the history. Yeah. 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 I love, uh, one of those channels on YouTube, the gaming historian, but I just don't have a lot of time. I've, I've, I've listened to some of his development stories like SMP3. Oh, yeah, he's, great. he's definitely But great. he's really, that's the, that's the kind of vein that I think if you wanted to exp expand your YouTube channel, nobody's doing that besides him, really. I, I would do that if I had time. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're in yeah. ad school. But, you know, you if you're in this, you can work seven days a week like me and maybe keep going until you're 50 or 60 and put something out like I a guy. Once I'm done with like the actual school part, I will. Yeah. I mean, at least like, you know, if I have a little bit of a break between graduation and finding a job, I will definitely have, I mean, I have like three or four videos that I'm really thinking about writing, right? I would, that I really want to make. Uh, cool. One of them, oh. I mean, I want to expand this and talk about all of the, the third party titles that were released for the NES between 1986 yeah. and 1987, because that's, you know, just as important as the first party stuff. Are those just in there on my schedule? Hang. Are those the quote unquote third party hang tabs? Yeah. So, third party games started coming out at the official launch of the NES in yeah 80, in September '86. So, okay, one of the first were Shubby Cherub Ninja. You know those Bandai hang tabs. Um, and then there was like some Capcom games with uh, Commando and um, and now Section Z was later. Commando and uh, Ghosts and Goblins and stuff like that. Um, but they continued making hang tab games up until September, October of 1987. Um, that's really where I want to focus my like. So I, I own most of these games now. Uh, I'm not going mm -hmm. to make a video until I've played every single one of them. I've played a lot of them. Um, but obviously, I have to play them to, to be able to talk about them. Um, mm -hmm. I'm only missing two ink tab games now. It's, uh, I'm missing Athletic World, Family Fun Fitness. Well, th for the time being, I, I there's one I'm going to buy. Um, and funnily enough, Star Voyager, which was an acclaimed mm. title. Uh, it's not e it's not rare at all. It's very hard to find it with a hang tab though. I see. um I want to I want to expand my project to really talk about the marketing strategies that were used by these other companies because a lot of them were just stealing exactly what Nintendo was doing. So you know Nintendo had the Nintendo game plan poster with all of those thirty black box games and check marks so you could uh, mark them off. Yeah, when you got that, that. Was cool. Like the the Pokemon collect them all strategy. Collect them all. A lot of the other third party games were doing that exact same thing. So like for instance, uh, Bandai when they released. Chubby Cherub, Ninja Kid, and um, and Muscle Tag Team Muscle. They included with that a poster insert 
that had those three games listed on it with check marks. So you'd be encouraged to buy all of them. But yeah. Yeah. Capcom Isn't had there... the same poster with with Mega Man and and Section Z and Ghosts and Goblins and all of their yeah. other games. And was there a that. poster that had all the black boxes with the three silver boxes? It had more than that. It was the all the black box. It wasn't all the black boxes, actually. They took out Donkey Kong Junior Math and they took out Gumshoe because those were the two and Stack Up. No, not Stack Up. They took out Gumshoe and, and DK Math because those had already been pulled off of the shelves. Those were like the two are there, runs. Are there silver boxes that might be considered part of the black box set in your opinion? No, they are no. They're different. Totally class. separate. Yeah. Okay. The last black okay. box stand came out early 1987. Was volleyball, slalom, and yeah. um, and pro wrestling, and then so like Gradius and whatever else that was are good. not that was considered. Good. Okay, yeah, okay. Was, yeah, I don't know. I, I heard there was a poster that showed a couple silver boxes mixed with the black boxes, but I didn't know who put that poster out. There is a Nintendo poster. It was. It's when they transitioned it from the Nintendo game plan to now you're playing with power in 1987 and they it was put out by Nintendo yeah but it didn't have it was only first party games it had Metroid and and Zelda and uh and punch out and a couple of non-black box games and they also took out like gumshoe and Donkey Kong Jr. There were no third. Well, we could, we, yeah, we could talk about inserts some other day, but um, yeah, I think that would be a great topic. Third-party hang tabs. Someone did a guide on that. Minusworlds.com. I'm they definitely not. Yeah, I would not be talking about variants there. It's most. It, it's pretty much just marketing strategies and the impact of those games if they did have third-party developer history. I got you. Yeah. That's that, still that, interesting. That's though. not really been talked about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're over an hour. Um. I know I wanted to wrap up around then. Do you want to keep going or come back on another, yeah, another podcast? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I mean, is there anything else we're we're missing? Well, you know, we don't have time to go through every single black box, <laughs> but we went through Super Mario, and I really appreciate your opinions and your research and uh, the work you did as an undergrad in media, and I really wish you success on YouTube if you find time. Um, <laughs> Thank that you. would be wonderful. Thank you very much. Yeah, Thank I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on today. Yeah. And um, by the way, Avery, is it Avery Beckett or the other name? Beckett's my middle name. It's just easier to spell. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, I guess uh, on YouTube, it's Avery Beckett. And then on Messenger, I'll send you a link when this is all done. And, and I'll try to put your work including the citations and the black box um, video on my website, gamegallery.net. Sure. Sounds good. And uh, yeah, if you come out with anything else, uh, feel free to message me and uh, give me a heads up. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate your time today on short notice, Avery. Yeah, no problem. You take care now. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Okay. Thanks again. Bye.